Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brought to you by Leaving Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, November 7th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Devin Murkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Couple of things before we go into the review section, because there this is quite a review section. Uh, first of all, welcome to the Leave It in the Ring family, Johnny Sig. Love your stuff so far. Johnny is, you know, brings a real interesting take. We we uh, we don't have anyone who's like a former amateur fighter, uh, at least to my knowledge. Uh, I am not. Uh, I, I don't know if Kurt and Dave are, but who, who are on the Leave It in the Ring network um, and who give just sort of pure fight analysis. You know, Dave does it sometimes. So, uh Johnny does that, and he does it quite frequently, and uh, I love the stuff so far. Welcome to the team, Johnny. Uh, also, a couple, maybe a week and a half ago, I am quoted in an article uh, in The Athletic by Rafe Bartholomew on Ryan Garcia. You should check that out. It's a great piece by Rafe, and I think it really – Ryan is one of the first fighters – who was built by Instagram almost more so than built in the ring in terms of building a social following. Um, and I think Rafe explores this in a really, really interesting way and in a really smart way. Uh, and then I will also be on Chris Mannix's show this week. I will try not to cross over too much, but we'll obviously, I will certainly talk on both podcasts about what happened on November 2nd. Um, so, okay, let's just jump into the review section. There just so much to go over. I mean, I've covered two weeks here. So let's start with Saturday, October 26th, where Josh Taylor defeats Regis Progre by a majority decision to win the WBSS 140-pound final and the WBA and IBF titles. Also on the card, Derek Chisora beats David Price by KO4. Lee Selby beats Ricky Burns in a pretty good fight at lightweight. Selby earns himself another shot or two at the big time with this win. Chisora probably ends Price's career, or at least 
should do that and keeps himself in line for a shot as a B-side opponent to somebody important at heavyweight. The focal point here was the excellent fight that Progray and Taylor had. I think both guys come out of this significantly improved in stature. It easily could have been scored a draw. Lots of people have been over this already, but you know Taylor won more clear rounds, and then there were a lot of swing rounds. But if you're scoring at home, I can respect a draw. Either guy winning uh, by one round, or I could even maybe see Taylor getting an eight to four sort of card, you know, scorecard in, in rounds. But you know, you'd have to give him almost every benefit of the doubt for that. It's a great fight. It maybe not in that top tier for fight of the year. Uh, but it might end up being just as meaningful of a fight for a lot of reasons. And, I mean, a lot of the, people have been over a lot of stuff already. I think you'd have to think that Eddie Hearn is going to end up with Josh Taylor. I actually thought, I just, I from what I had heard, I assumed it was public and done uh, in the last episode, but it's not. You know, But you'd have to think that he ends up with Josh Taylor, and you'd have to think uh, that Josh Taylor can have a couple, you know, a meaningful fight or two, in the UK and, and sort of continue on that path to commercial stardom there before he attempts to cross over. But he is as talented as it gets. He can come and, and, and really fight anybody, I think, at 140 and 147, and it will at least be very, very competitive, if not favorite. I mean, I think right now Crawford and Spence would would probably be the only two fighters at 140 or 147 that you would say are clear favorites against him. I think there's plenty of other great fights for him out there where, you know, and some there's some other guys who might be slight favorites against him, but he, he's incredibly talented. And by the way, you can say the same thing about Progre. You can definitely say the same thing about Progre. Um, in the very short term, Progre probably loses out on a much bigger payday. But I think in the long term, uh, this loss won't affect him at all. And also, one of the judges actually, had they scored the 12th round for Progray, it would have been declared a majority draw instead of a majority decision. And that way, you know, Progray would have kept his title and his O. I don't know whether that actually would have affected his pay for his next fight, but interesting to note nonetheless. Okay. I would actually, in, if, had it not been this episode, I'd probably talk more about this, but let's just move on because there's so much to cover. Also on Saturday, October 26th from Reno, Nevada, on ESPN+. Shakur Stevenson beats Joette Gonzalez by a wide unanimous decision for the vacant WBO featherweight title. Also on the card, Josh Greer wins by a semi-controversial decision over Antonio Nieves. And Mikhail Meyer wins by KO. Let's just talk about the main event here. ESPN did a great job leaning on the whole family element in selling this fight. I think they got a lot of attention for something that, you know, some boxing writers even just called sort of a glorified showbox card. Uh, and let's be clear on a few things here. Like first going into the fight, I was very impressed with what I'd seen from Joette Gonzalez, though this was you know definitely a major step up for him. I wasn't going to predict him to win, but he was a you know pretty significant underdog odds, like plus three fifty or something like that. And you know I do think he'll end up being a title holder at some point in his career. You know maybe. You can say that's what Showbox set out to do. I don't. I, I don't necessarily love that comparison, but you know, Joette showed that he is not at you know Stevenson's level. Like Stevenson showed, he's way beyond a Showbox level. Um, I would have loved to see more in-ring adjustments from Gonzalez. Like he essentially just didn't make any significant ones, and, and Stevenson always adjusted quickly. 
but Stevenson, you have to view him now as the most talented fighter in the division. You know, the, a, a lot of guys have moved up. If he and Warrington fought tomorrow, I'd probably make Stevenson a very slight favorite. But I'd understand if the books opened up Warrington as a slight favorite there. The point is, here's a guy who is ready for the big time in Stevenson. You know, apparently ESPN was running ads uh, for this on ABC, or Disney, I should say, is running ads for this on ABC's college football games earlier in the day. You know, Stevenson, if, if that's how it's going to go, he's going to get a real push from ESPN. We've seen how that can work in the past. You're going to get a lot of attention if that's the case. There's a real pathway for him to clean out this division in the next two years and move up and wait for some bigger fights. You've got to remember the one you know, one or two weight classes above him. There's lots of, of great, talented fighters, especially in the ESPN stable. Um, you know, He can get a lot of these fights at a really young age. I just... I think the this was good for him. I was a big fan of Kriegel's column, and I do think that ESPN probably relied too much on the Gonzalez family angle and sort of the sister-daughter dating Shakur thing. It, you know, that is though the kind of sell, especially this early in your career, that can actually stick with people. It's a it's a really um, there's some depth to that story that you don't normally see in in fight buildups. And, I, and, you know, I actually think, like, th this will stick with people for a couple of years. Like, I actually think, uh, you know, even if you do a really good piece on fight tactics or, or you know, an angle some, you know, somewhat similar to what's, ha what's going to happen in the ring with him, this is the kind of stuff that sticks with people. So, you know, some people didn't like it, thought it was, you know, over the top. And ESPN does have a tendency to go a little over the top with, with whatever angle they're pushing. But, uh, you know... Maybe the core fans who don't like it, I, I don't know. I was okay with it. I thought it was a good angle. All right, rounding out the day from Reading, Pennsylvania. Erickson Lubin defeats Nathaniel Gallimore by wide unanimous decision at junior middleweight. Robert Easter beats Adrian uh, Granos by unanimous decision. And finally, Frank Sanchez beats Jack Mulawai at uh, by unanimous decision at heavyweight. Uh Embarrassing rating in this. I mean, you know, Showtime, they got just under 200,000 uh, viewers for this. Let's just put a pin in this. Let's talk about it later. Um, okay, let's move on to Saturday, November 2nd. Another huge day in boxing. Let's start with the zone in one of the biggest fights of the year where Canelo Alvarez beat Sergey Kovalev by KO 11. On the undercard, Ryan Garcia beats Romero Duno by KO 1. Uh, Siniesta Estrada beats Marlon Esparza by technical decision. Blair Cobb wins by KO. Background Murta Zalaev beats Jorge Fortea by wide DNF's decision. You know, a couple other, Evan Holyfield won. All right, the big, the big talking point here, and this has been in all boxing, the 98 minutes in between fights. And, and this was crazy. And so, I... You, you will hear me, I, I spoke a little bit of this, about this in, you know, earlier in the week uh, with, with, with Ringlock John, I spoke a little bit about this with Chris Mannix, a, a decent more about this with Chris Mannix. Here's my big takeaway. This action was inconsistent with DAZN's value system. DAZN is not in the one night stand business. They're a subscription business. They want year-long subs. They're in the consumer satisfaction business. And 
the inconsistency here is by waiting so long to put on the main event, that action that they took is a one-night stand pay-per-view business action. It's inconsistent with what you set up. And you did a whole campaign about doing this. I've talked on this podcast about fight season, how great of a campaign it is for a lot of reasons. You're selling that year-long subscription package rather than a one-night stand model. You're basically, you know, you start out by saying pay-per-view is dead. And I hated that. But look, fight season actually gives the much more subtle indictment of the pay-per-view system because you're saying you come out here and you're going to get multiple pay-per-view level fights and a bunch of other stuff, you know, rather than just emotionally selling people on one big fight and then not caring what they think about it the moment after it ends. But by waiting an hour and 18 minutes, you know, in between fights, you went back to the one night stand mentality and fans reacted poor to that. And, you know, fans may not like the one night stand mentality, but it's at least very honest. They know what to expect. I think that like, this, this even extends to how you marketed the event for good or bad. You know, by marketing it as fight season, which I agree with, you sacrifice a couple of things. One of the things you sacrifice is each individual event gets a little bit smaller because you're spending a ton of money and putting a lot of effort into pushing the concept of fight season rather than Canelo Kovalev. So every time there was an ad for fight season, the opportunity cost is running an ad for Canelo Kovalev or AJ Ruiz 2 or, you know, anything else that you want to push. You know, they, the, the Golovkin was part of it. Obviously, Derevchenko wasn't. But you're selling the fight season. And, and, and that Golovkin-Derevchenko fight was a fight of the year candidate for me. Also, if you want to really get nerdy on this, the inventory that they bought was national television. and They didn't let you push a day-day-time message. So essentially, you're putting all these ads out that are very expensive ads and they don't have a call to action. They don't tell you what what day or what time the fight is. It goes back. that wouldn't have happened in pay per view for a, a couple you know for a variety of reasons. Like in the pay per view world, we would have bought a lot of ads on local TV and partnerships with the, each cable system. And locally, you can do day date and time. Fox, anytime they run an ad, period, on their network. They can do day-to-day time because it's their, they're the one distributing the pay-per-view and they're the one uh, doing it. So the reason places don't like to let you let places like the zone, the reason if you're at ESPN, for instance, you wouldn't want to either take DAZN's money, period, or if you take their money, you would tell them you can't put a day-to-day time on it because they're competing with your product. And that's pretty standard. That'll go for CBS, NBC, ABC, uh, Fox, whatever, wherever DAZN is buying, because I saw some on football. I didn't get targeted a lot digitally. I didn't hear anything on the radio. I would, and maybe I, you know, look, I'm already a subscriber, so maybe I'm whitelisted, you know, for better or worse, digitally. Uh, but radio and digital, you can slam home that day day time messaging. I also. This And this is a little bit of a tangent here, but I also just think there's a huge barrier to entry for a lot of people. Um, Netflix doesn't have this issue because if you're like me, I own a Sony TV and literally on the remote to it is a button with Netflix on it and you hit that button and it goes straight to Netflix. 
I think there's an older demographic that has major issues with signing up and understanding how to do this for a place like DAZN, even who have a smart TV. This is something that doesn't get talked about enough in the OTT world period, so it's not really just a DAZN issue. But it's something that every company like DAZN has to deal with to a certain extent. My three-year-old daughter can order a pay-per-view on cable. But there's no way she could download DAZN and figure out how to get it working. And honestly, my parents are the same way. This is more of the nerdy stuff. But let's get back to the philosophical stuff. You're not treating East Coast fans well. And in the West Coast, this is kind of like, oh, this is what a fight party's really like. You're used to doing it so early here. And yes, all of DAZN's messaging about this, that they got a huge uptick in, in sub numbers, that 75% of, of Canelo's subs are going to be you know, California or West Coast based, like that, none of that surprises me. But you're just, you can't rely on California subscriptions, you know, and California subscribers to fund his own. You're trying to do it worldwide, basically. The East Coast is important too. And it's, it shouldn't be shocking to anybody that most of Canelo's fan base is going to be in like Texas and California, where it's not quite, quite starting as late as it is in New York. But New York is usually still number one or number two. You know, certainly in in pay per view sales, New York is going to New York and LA are number one or number two in, in some order. It's a huge market for fights. You should also just be moving the event faster. I talk about this a lot in terms of how streaming services can rewrite the rules for boxing. There's no lead in. There's nothing that comes on after. You just start showing fights, and when you're done, you can stop. I'll give DAZN this. They're right about one thing. There is significant crossover for, for MMA and boxing, especially in terms of casual viewers. Maybe not hardcore viewers, but casual viewers. We've seen a ton of evidence for this All right, at this point. It, this isn't just me getting a study from, you know, our external agency when I was at HBO being like, oh, the crossover, you know, number one crossover is NBA and number two is MMA and number three is baseball. And here's the demographics for crossover. Because you can read a lot of studies to point to a lot of different things. I mean, there's hard evidence at this point. I mean, <laughs> the second best-selling pay-per-view ever was Mayweather McGregor. And no boxing fan went into that fight with any expectation that it would be remotely competitive. There's significant crossover. You look at top ranks, a lot of their best ratings come after UFC prelims because that audience will stay tuned. Granted, it's most likely a casual audience. The hardcore boxing fans probably aren't going over the UFC. The hardcore UFC fans probably aren't going over to boxing. And if you look at older studies on this, it was surprisingly low was the crossover. But there's also a lot of studies that indicate that MMA's fan base has changed dramatically in the past 15 years. You know, I've read conclusions saying that initially the hardcore fan base was less of a fan of sports 
and more just a fan of the rebel concept of the brand, basically. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm just putting it out there. In terms of the narrative that boxing is dead because it let the UFC be a bigger event, I think that, look, that is an inside media narrative. I don't think most people are going to care about that. And I actually think most casual fans were probably appreciative that they could watch both. I think it's okay to admit that UFC puts on some really big events. And literally the president of the United States attended this event. It's hard to say that DAZN had the bigger event when the president of the United States decides to attend an event. And there's lots of ways to prevent this stuff. Like, this is a product of the streaming era. No one had to check with the cable system. If in-demand was responsible for selling both of these events, there's no way they would have been on the same date. ESPN Plus exclusively distributes pay-per-view. Or I should say ESPN. You have to buy it through ESPN Plus, not your cable system, whether you're a subscriber or not. Obviously, with DAZN, it's a streaming service. You don't have to do anything through a cable system. But at least there's some sort of gatekeeper for this. And that's not to say that egos have gotten involved and people have tried to go on the same date in the past. They have. And it almost doesn't matter who had this date first because UFC is going to put on a big Madison Square Garden date right around this time of year, every year. DAZN probably knew that. But if you're really getting to the root of the problem... And actually, even before I say this, at HBO, we literally kept a, a calendar of big sporting events every year. And we were hyper aware of this kind of stuff, like how it could work out both positive and negative. I mean, everybody knows at this point that Kentucky Derby happens the same weekend as Cinco de Mayo weekend, and you use that to your advantage. I mean, I've, I've worked on pay-per-view fights where we have it digitally program so that this you know within the 15 minutes of the Kentucky Derby ending we send out mobile ads to people who are watching the Kentucky Derby who likely are candidates based on a couple factors to be also interested in watching a boxing event that night when you get to the core issues here this fight had its own date it didn't need to go November 2nd All this stuff I've been talking about is probably, it didn't really need to go down this way. You don't need to be criticizing DAZN for taking so long to go in between fights. September 15th was the date for this fight. And I don't know whether DAZN took too much of a laissez-faire attitude with Golden Boy, but Golden Boy didn't get the deal done. Mike Coppinger wrote a great article about this. There's obviously tremendous let's say, pressure on Golden Boy and Canelo with their relationship. There's fissures happening. There's unhappiness. If you go back and read a lot of the interviews Kathy Duva did, she was pretty upfront about where they were. And you can kind of see the trail that led to this. This fight definitely could have happened on September 15th. There would have been no competition, not even a major college football game or anything like that. 
So you get back to this question of why were you vamping for 98 minutes? Why were you interviewing retired NBA players about how awesome boxing is? None of that would have happened had the negotiations gone better. Anyways, we get down to the shoulder programming for this. The 40 days pieces, they are slickly produced. They don't go super deep. Um, you know, obviously it's with some big names. They're meant for casuals. This whole thing was a casual sell. And that's what it should have been. And that's okay. I wasn't super impressed with it, but they were all slickly done. Like, you, you can't look at them and say, oh, they didn't put enough time into this. It's just there, there wasn't enough of it, and it didn't go deep enough. I don't know what the numbers gonna, you know, are going to end up looking like for zone. I think if you totally just listen to inside boxing people, they're going to be upset with this. They have every right to be upset with this. I wouldn't have done it. But it could have been prevented. I think that's important. Definitely it could have been prevented. All right. That same day on ESPN, we have Miguel Burchelt beating Jason Sosa by KO4 to defend his junior feather or welterweight title. Also on the card, Javier Molina beats Hiroki Okada by KO1, and Alex Saucedo beats Rod Salka by KO1, both at junior welterweight. This show is the number 13 cable show of the day, and it gets 635,000 viewers, which considering the circumstances, you could almost write any narrative you want for this. Let's just be real here. I actually think it's not that bad. On the surface, it follows the Auburn College Football Game, which was the number one cable show of the day, which got over 2.2 million viewers. So in one sense, you'd have to say you hope to retain more of that audience. But then when you consider it was up against Kanoa Kovalev's card and the UFC pay-per-view card, um, you know, side note, the UFC prelims on ESPN2 from 8 to 10 did 910,000 viewers and was the number five cable show of the day. And it's easily the best number I've seen so far from ESPN2. I mean, basically, the two numbers we've seen in the last month or so from ESPN2 uh, are, are just incredible, basically, for, in terms of what the UFC means to them. Uh, so, th you know, there's a lot to unpack in this whole thing. I mean, the dates were probably known before DAZN was forced to go to November 2nd. But let's just say no one at Disney was going to be disappointed that they were essentially counter-programming DAZN on two fronts. One with live boxing, with a pretty good, fun card, for you know, with Miguel Perchelt. Uh And then, you know... It ended up not competing with Canelo actually fighting, which, as it did, I mean, remember, ESPN put on, uh, I believe it was Better BF's fight directly up against uh, Canelo Jacobs on May 4th earlier this year. And then the other thing was, you know, the UFC pay-per-view from Madison Square Garden featuring Nick Diaz, that was up straight against it, and obviously, we, you know, we've already talked about that. I can't say for sure that ESPN meant to counter-program, um, but they probably were happy they did it. They weren't changing anything. You can also look at this and say, hey, it's a golden opportunity for, for ESPN to have a great boxing rating considering you're following Auburn football, and it didn't. Now, I don't think the game was that competitive, and it wasn't, you know, the, it was the number one show of the day, but this was a really low overall number considering the circumstances for college football. It wasn't a big college football game by any means. Still, you don't get too many golden opportunities like this. 
following a college football game, and these were TV-friendly fights, even though they weren't super competitive on paper. Take your pick of narratives. At this point, I don't really know. You, you, you can literally take your pick of narratives. If it was me scheduling it, I probably would have given Stevenson and Gonzalez the, this fight spot and made Burchelt Sosa more of a core fight fan type of thing. But that's me. You're probably splitting hairs. Finally, on FS1 from Oxon Hill, Maryland, we have Brian Castaño winning by KO5 over Wally Amatoso at junior middleweight. Also on the card, Javier Fortuna wins by KO2 over Jesus Cuellar at junior lightweight. The show averages 159,000 viewers, does not make the top 150 cable shows of the day. Its lead-in was a college football game that averaged 377,000 viewers. You know, again, a couple different narratives here. This is not a huge L. I'm guessing PBC was just given this date. They had to put something on. They were directly up against Canelo Kovalev, the UFC pay-per-view, top-ranked boxing on ESPN. I think the moral of the story is when there are three combat sport programs directly in competition with yours, and you have the lowest profile event, you're just destined to fail. So try and get a different date. That being said, it was actually like kind of a fun TV fight, not a terrible fight on paper. Uh... I would just say, please don't let me sit through those undercards again. Like one thing you probably shouldn't do if you're up against all this stuff is, is put on a bunch of meaningless undercard fights on the TV portion. But normally you hope to make the, you know, if you're on FS1 and if you look at what they had done recently in the couple fights leading up to this, they had outperformed baseball, which was a lead in a couple times. Like th- there was some real promising stuff here. I mean, you know, they did like, I think, you know, one of the fights did almost triple the amount of average viewers for this. None of these guys are big names. You can just kind of bury this. You know, in the future, try to avoid it, though. I don't know. Sometimes it's just not in the cards. This is one of them. One more note since I'm recording on Thursday. I didn't preview this last week, but Naomi Inoue beats Nonito Donaire in another great fight to win the World Boxing Super Series final. Um... I don't want to talk about this that much. I basically skipped through it this morning. I, you know, I watched it early in the morning. It is a great fight, uh, but and it appears that the monster is heading over to ESPN. So we'll we'll have a lot to see of what ESPN could do with him. All right. Quick news and notes before we get into the deep dive. And actually, semi-tangentially involved in the deep dive, one of the things that hasn't happened in the month of October that we thought would be happening was Zufa boxing. And Dana White has now given a number of interviews for a long time, sort of inside the boxing industry. No one really knew what was going to happen here on this front. Uh, It was all kind of a big mystery. You hear certain things, but maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Maybe the guy is this. Maybe the guy he's hired is that person. And obviously, you just look at how much it costs to zone to come in at a very high level and control boxing. I mean, that requires a ton of cash. And you saw some of this online. But I think one of the things that most boxing fans didn't know is is Endeavor's failed IPO that happened a couple weeks ago. I mean, that had a lot more to do with financial markets and analysis of companies that have a lot of debt on their hands. Um, 
how they treat firms like this. Like you can't just be a fancy Hollywood company and get a huge IPO. And I think Endeavor was counting on that. And I think more importantly, Zufa Boxing was probably counting on that. It's a really tough business to be in the intellectual property sort of Hollywood business. You know, when Endeavor or WME bought the UFC, I did a whole episode on it last year. I analyzed both of the TV deals were made. There's a lot of debt. When Endeavor's going public, like you need to grow it as a company. And I think when you looked at their books, and I am not an expert on this, but I defer to thoughtful analysis. And most thoughtful analysis was essentially that the best way for Endeavor to grow as a company was international growth for the UFC. And one of the best ways for UFC to grow internationally is through Fight Pass, their subscription service. And I think, I mean, certainly I bet you ESPN thought Fight Pass would essentially disappear. Because basically, if you were in America, whatever you were getting as a Fight Pass subscriber is basically what you're going to get as an ESPN Plus subscriber. But Fight Pass does have a lot of growth opportunity, especially on the international level. And I think one of the things you'd have to assume that Dana White was doing was going into boxing to push Fight Pass as an international product. And, and that would be one of the best pathways to grow Endeavor as a company. But the failed IPO hurts us. You can say it was probably clearly dependent on money coming from Endeavor through that IPO, and ultimately that didn't happen, or it's going to get delayed. And maybe it will come, and maybe the IPO will happen, and a lot of money will be able to go for this. You know, and I think a lot of you are thinking, oh, well, like this is some Wall Street event that isn't going to affect my life because I give zero Fs about MMA and I was never going to subscribe to Fight Pass. And you might be right. But I'd also say you probably shouldn't doubt Dana White when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Doubt maybe is the wrong word. He's certainly capable of doing this. So I'd say you at least have to do that. That's a quick news and note. Let's actually go on to the major thing I was talking about here with the deep dive. Okay, let's talk about Disney+. Plus. Probably didn't think I was going there, right? Well, the two streaming services right now in the boxing business are DAZN and ESPN+. Plus. And if you're a core boxing fan, you probably subscribe to both of them. You, if you get yearly subscriptions, you probably pay 99 bucks for DAZN and 49 bucks for ESPN Plus for the year. And you're probably pretty satisfied with what you get for that price just in terms of pure boxing content that you want to watch. You can have a lot of complaints about how it's marketed, the tech, any all you know, there's plenty of stuff out there that you complain, but just in terms of what you get for your price tag, you're probably pretty good with it. You know, I've talked a lot about ESPN Plus recently on this show, um, and we can sort of see. I've extrapolated that we can sort of see there's a clear directive from the top of ESPN and Disney for top rank in terms of boxing to send, you know, not just a significant amount of their content, 
but a significant amount of their high-level content to ESPN Plus rather than ESPN. And this seems counterintuitive because part of the reason that Top Rank wanted to make the deal with ESPN was because they would be providing a much larger platform. And thus it was fairly reasonable to criticize Top Rank for putting on some of the high-quality fights on ESPN+. And you can say, well, look, just even from the past two weeks, it's great that Shakur Stevenson beat Joette Gonzalez, but does it count if no one watched? And ESPN probably has somewhere in between 2.5 and 2.8 million subs right now. I'm assuming there would have been some kind of press release had we seen the 3 million mark. But part of the reason we haven't seen anything, and you know, look, depending on churn rate, all that kind of stuff, we have now entered you know, into a world where the criticism of does it count if no one watched on a streaming service, I don't know how much merit that has. Showtime just put on a boxing show that literally averaged less than 200,000 viewers this past weekend, and the Stevenson fight, and I'll bet you any DAZN recent fight even something like the Usyk fight, and this, when I say I bet, I basically means that I've confirmed this off the record, that both these streaming services get more viewers than that. Neither, you know, neither ESPN Plus, Top Rank, you know, DAZN, they're they're not going to confirm that officially, but it's pretty safe to assume that's true. So here's the billion-dollar question for Disney. What happens after November 12th? Disney Plus opens up as a standalone service, and there will be a huge marketing push behind that. And there's going to be a big push, probably the biggest push, and you've already seen a lot of it, is behind the Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Hulu bundle. How many subscribers does ESPN Plus pick up because of this bundle? If you read what... Disney execs project by 2024, it's about 30 million subs for Disney+. Plus. But UBS actually did a survey, and this is like, you know, just a bank basically doing an, a really non-biased survey, where it could be 50 million plus households for Disney+, Plus by then. And within months of launch, it could actually be close to 30 million subs. I mean, who really knows? We don't know. But it's going to be a lot. I mean, Netflix has 60 million subs in the United States right now, and a lot more worldwide. And you got to figure a lot of people are going to be dropping Netflix and getting Disney+. Plus. I know I will. How many will get the bundle, to be perfectly honest? Like, I don't know. We don't know. That's another good question that probably only execs within Disney can answer based on market research projections, and even those could be way off. It could be just a couple million. It could be 30 million. Who, who knows? Who knows? All these, this is reckless speculation, but it goes back to one of the themes of this podcast. There's no guarantee that ESPN Plus or DAZN is going to work out. But it is really beneficial to be on those types of streaming places first. That seems silly to a lot of people when we were talking about it on this podcast back, you know, last fall. 
but you can go back and listen. I mean, even earlier this year, as UFC came on ESPN Plus and they hailed it as a major victory when they had a big sign-up day of over 500,000 subscribers, they celebrated when it hit 2 million subs. I mean, are we going to hit 5 million by the end of 2019? Probably. When are you going to hit 10 million? Because of the bundle? Maybe that's in 2020? Maybe 2021? Could be holiday season 2019. Here's why it's beneficial to be first. Boxing is not going to compete with the new Star Wars series or anything like that. The Marvel movies, the legacy Disney kids programming. I mean, that's, you know, I said I'm probably going to drop Netflix and probably going to get Disney Plus. Well, I have a three-year-old and a three-month-old. I personally don't really need Hulu, but if you look at the kids' programming on Netflix and compare it to the kids' programming on Disney, it's not a shocker. Like, Disney wins that one easily. So I don't know if I'm going to get the bundle. That's anecdotal for me. But going back to boxing, boxing is one of those types of programming on ESPN Plus that got there first. They were, you know, a, tw- a Twitter follower of mine noted that they were promoting Stevenson uh, and his fight on ABC during college football earlier in the day. And that's still marketing people, you know, they're marketing ESPN Plus. They're marketing a fight there, uh, you know, and, and, and not necessarily the product. And I think what's actually going to be more important is how in the larger Disney OTT ecosystem, how they promote things like boxing and UFC. Because right now, UFC is clearly more important than anything else in terms of ESPN Plus's programming. I mean, you know, Peyton's place is pretty important. Boxing is important too, though. And I think... This may not have mattered when there's only 2 million subscribers. And there's, again, a lot of things go into this, how it's presented. But you look at when Netflix really gets behind something, they can almost manufacture a hit. They can almost get on there and say, we paid so much money for this Martin Scorsese movie or so much money for this Adam Sandler movie. They can basically put it in your feed and almost guarantee that there's going to be a huge number of downloads or a huge number of, of, of watches and, and then report on that. And if ESPN Plus wanted to do that with a big fight, they could do that too. And when there's 2 million subs, it probably doesn't really matter. But now we're heading into a totally different world. The opportunity is going to be now. There's going to be some serious lag time before we start seeing big-time sports end up there exclusively. Like the ones that, you know, blow boxing out of the water in terms of viewership. NFL, big time Major League Baseball, playoff baseball, playoff basketball, big time college football. This is where you can really put a quality fight on ESPN+. And if you promote it correctly, the viewership might not be... It might not be that different in terms of what you would get from a really quality fight on ESPN. And your demo is probably going to be way better.
even compared to Fox. I mean, Fox has clearly found a strategy now that they're very happy with, which focuses on distributing the big pay-per-view fights. But this, you know, th this is way different. I mean, we're now going into a universe where on a streaming service, sports, like niche sports, can do really, really well. And 10 years from now, when maybe the NFL or college football is on ESPN+, Plus, maybe that's not the best thing for boxing, because it might get lost in the shuffle. But right now, we're one of the top sports on there. This is an opportunity. It's no guarantee. Disney is a hard company to get the ball moving at. I mean, ESPN has a lot of things to focus on. It's hard to get them focused on, like, you know, a random boxing fight. It's the same thing with the UFC. They'll get behind the big events. But your average, you know, week in, week out UFC, uh, you know, the, you'll, see, you'll see some promotion for it, but it's not treated the same way. But going back to what I said about Netflix, I mean... We're one or two years away from the point where ESPN Plus might have as many subscribers as what HBO used to have. But HBO had a lot of subscribers that didn't care about boxing. ESPN Plus, every single subscriber is going to care about sports. They're all going to be sports fans. It's probably the best demo you're ever going to get in a contained area to have boxing grow as a sport. I've talked about how to grow boxing, and this isn't really the way, but in the universe we're in, this is this is a big opportunity. There's no question about it. I mean, when it comes to top rank, I did an episode not too long ago that pointed out the strategy in 2019 had been to move almost all of their top product over to ESPN+. And a lot of people took that as really critical of the strategy. But I was careful to say this could be coming from the top. I mentioned it above here in this one. ESPN and Disney know they need to work the kinks out of the system. I've also ranted on how bad the tech is over there. It's just not good if you're a sports fan. They can improve it so much. But let's put the tech aside for a second. This used to be, hey, you might not get the viewership by going over to fighting at ESPN Plus or DAZN but we'll pay you a little bit extra because it's streaming. And that's just not going to be the case from here on out. And it basically starts before my next episode. No one's really talking about that. It's kind of snuck up on everybody. And look, there might be other ramifications from all this. Consolidation is something that's happening in Hollywood right now on a major, major level. I mean, Disney's the biggest example of this. But let's look at Fox, which is now a more nimble company that's focused on live events. And we talked about the WWE last year, which is 52 weeks a year now. Friday nights on Fox. How much is Fox going to keep going with this, this transition? I mean, there is so much strong potential for growth here. There hasn't been any official reporting on this, 
but most of the rumors about Showtime are basically saying that 2020 is going to be their last year. How is Fox going to deal with that? There's a huge opportunity. If Showtime's 2020 looks a lot like HBO's 2018 for boxing, not that it, oh, they're putting on lesser fights and it feels like they're going to leave. Like you know, There's strong rumors that they're going to leave in 2020. Like, not just in terms of boxing circles, in entertainment circles. Is Fox going to step up and take the rest of the PVC package on? This could be an incredible move. And some of this comes with the transition to streaming. If Showtime... I've talked a lot about, strategically, how boxing fits into a streaming service, considering one that Viacom would have to do. What would make sense for them? And Fox, who seemed to be, from, from my contact, seemed to be somewhat ambivalent about boxing at the beginning of their relationship, maybe viewed it as a dart throw, is now clearly in love with distributing pay-per-views right now. This is a big opportunity for them. And it has to do with consolidation. I mean, this is the same thing. I don't think Fox is, you know, Fox is not going to do a streaming service that's going to compete with Disney anytime soon. They're basically going to own the opposite lane. And I don't know that they would take on the, the rest of the PVC package. And I don't know that Showtime's leaving boxing. But these all seem like very likely events. DAZN's going all in on boxing in 2020. And we're now going to be in a world where DAZN is going to probably be the premier streaming destination for big fights. Certainly, when I say big, I mean like Canelo Alvarez fights. ESPN's going to be straddling both worlds. They're going to have the power of the biggest sports cable network behind them. And Fox has an opportunity to own both network TV and pay-per-view. That's, of course, if Showtime does leave. There's a couple of other companies that, you know, are making streaming transformations. Time Warner AT&T has the richest tradition of them all. Viacom obviously has a strong tradition with Showtime. We don't know officially what's going to happen there yet. Time Warner AT&T doesn't even have boxing anymore. But again, one of the themes of this podcast has been don't get discouraged that you feel less and less people are watching. That is happening everywhere. Everywhere. Less people are watching. There's no more home. There are very few home runs in the entertainment industry as a whole anymore. It's happening everywhere except for the biggest events in the NFL. It's also what we talked about at the top of this show with the zone taking so long. I mean, you know, we got used to boxing being a pay cabler sport. And they treated it as something that would belong with the rest of what they had on pay cable. It's now getting separated out more and more. DAZN is the only place where boxing is top dog, and they've openly stated they want bigger sports. So their goal is that one day it won't be.
But going back to this, you know, original intent of the deep dive, Disney has by far the biggest reach because of consolidation. It's okay not to be the biggest fish in that pond, because that pond is a gigantic ocean. But we're entering a time, a place, where there's a real opportunity. ESPN Plus is likely going to have a lot of subscribers soon. And boxing, if they market it correctly and push it correctly, has a chance to really gain a following on there, especially in the right young demo. And we haven't even talked about how some of the other places are going to respond to Disney moving in here, into this space. Netflix has never done live sports. Their motto has been, what you want when you want it. They're probably going to lose a lot of subs, you know, I said they were at 60 million right now. I can tell you I, I'm dropping it. I said it, you know, that's, that's anecdotal. But they can't compete with Disney for Disney's kids programming. Are they going to get live sports? Is Amazon going to respond and try to get live sports? There could be even more and more of a push for anything live. It's crazy to think that, but remember, boxing was first into this. There could still be another push for more live boxing in these types of places. And November 12th doesn't mean much to most fight fans, but nine or ten months from now, this, this landscape could really be different. I know that's crazy to say, because the boxing landscape has changed so much. But there's a lot of moving parts right now. And November 12th, where, yeah, Disney's entering the streaming era. A lot of the deep dive episodes I did last year were basically explaining why some of this stuff is happening, and it's because Disney's entering the streaming era. Well, they're starting November 12th, they're in it. <laughs> I hope they figure out the tech, but if they do, they have the biggest upside of anybody. And I hope boxing benefits from it. But this is a big domino, and a lot of other things are going to happen based off this. Okay. Let's go to the preview section. Not actually a whole lot to preview. Saturday, November 9th. There are two cards of note. DeZone has the higher profile card where KSI fights Logan Paul. Two title fights on the undercard. BJ Saunders fighting Marcelo Coceres. Devin Haney. Uh, God, I, I didn't even bother writing Devin Haney's opponent. Um, it, neither opponents are that great. They're, you know, I haven't looked at the gambling odds for any of these. Um, also November 9th from Fresno, California on ESPN+. Jamel Herring fights Lamont Roach for Herring's WBO junior lightweight title. Uh, Kubra Pulev versus Raydel Booker. Esquivo Falco, Gabe Flores also on the card. Um, they, Jamel Herring is, is uh, th that's a real interesting fight versus Lamont Roach. And I think it, it's close, and the odds have gone a bunch of different ways on this. Um, that, that's, a, that's a good fight. I mean, I also, look, 
I've talked about the KSI Logan Paul thing in the past. I don't have a problem with this at all. I mean, we're talking here like if you're going to do three or four of these cards a year and really get the younger YouTube generation interested in your product, I mean, your pro DAZN's product lines up so well with this audience, they should be pushing it. And I don't care if those people ever turn into a real boxing fight card. I really don't. If they boost DAZN's numbers and they become part of the package and DAZN doesn't take anything away from anything else they've done, I'm totally fine with all that. To complain about that is crazy. You don't have to watch it. And what they're offering besides that, they you can't look at what DAZN has offered this fall and say that, that, that it's not good. I mean, like, that is... I don't care if you are the biggest diehard PBC Twitter fan out there. You you can't possibly say that what they've offered isn't good. It has been great. There have been a couple fight of the year candidates here. And as long as I'm getting that, what do I care if KSI and Logan Paul fight and they promote the hell out of it? Get as many younger signups as you can. Make this thing work if you're going to keep giving me AJ Ruiz too and Canelo Kovalev and Golovkin Derevchenko and you know, in a way, Donaire, Prograde, Taylor, all the, yeah, I want all that stuff. All right, there's not too much the next weekend. Um, shout out to Ringwalk John from the, I didn't say that up top. I had a bunch of shout outs to get through. I was on his podcast earlier this week. We talked a lot about gambling, which was a lot of fun. Um, I highly encourage everyone to go listen to that Um the guy has been on a tear on gambling picks. I still haven't gambled on a fight yet in, in like over a decade, I think. But um, he, I, he has a great gambling pick section. Um, this, if you guys want to sit this one out for the YouTubers, that's fine. Get the, go to ESPN Plus and watch the Herring Roach fight. That's a good one. And then, Go hang out with your family the following weekend because when we come back, it's going to be all about Wilder Ortiz. That was my favorite fight from last year. It was really a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm really looking forward to see how it does on pay-per-view because I think that's that's a great manifestation of what could come next for uh, a, a lot of things. That number is going to tell us a lot about Fox. All right. Have a good one. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.